Before I get going, we're, we're on, right? All right, <clears throat> I wanna clear up something. I had several people online message me about what happened last week. Uh, the truth is, I keep my phone right here, and uh, she texted me. She sent me a text, and it was a joke. And she said that she sent it before that moment while I was telling my jokes, but by the time I got it, I was into the scripture. And uh, so this morning, you're going to tell me whether this joke was worth her sending to me <coughs> or not. But she tells me it's all in the delivery, so you're going to come and tell it. Come on. I've got a microphone right here. Everybody's waiting. I'm going to be just standing here till you get here. Come on. Come tell your joke. Come on. Yep, it's right here. Come tell it. Come on. She always tells me it's in the delivery, so. <laughs> right there. Okay, what kind of bird doesn't need a comb? A bald eagle. Got <laughs> Yes, I, I'm sorry. I got to do that. So, see, there we go. I guess it was worth it, even though it did take me. I watched it back, and I was like, my goodness, it took me a minute and ten seconds to get my composure. No, uh, it was crazy. So, anyways, I I saw this online. This is my joke for the day. It's not really a joke, but um, our attitude, how we see things, how we look at things um, makes all the difference in the world. So take a look at this. Go ahead. Put that up there, guys, if you would. I'm going to read it. They're going to, is it all on one or? Yes. Okay. There we go. Today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day. Because when you take a closer look, this world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart because true happiness can be obtained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all about my control. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a good day. It's one way to look at life. Now let's read it the other way. Today was a good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. I'm sure you can agree that it's not true that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. 
True happiness can be obtained because it's all in the mind and heart. And it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while. Even if this world is a pretty evil place, because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. It's all in <laughs> It's all in our attitudes sometimes, how we look at life, how we look at situations, how we approach things. I found that very interesting. I heard a story. Native hunters in the jungles of Africa have a clever way of trapping monkeys. They slice a coconut in two, hollow it out, and in one half of the shell cut out a hole just big enough for a monkey's hand to pass through. Then they place an orange in the other coconut half before fastening together the two halves of the coconut shell. Finally, they secure the coconut to a tree with a rope, retreat into the jungle, and just wait. Sooner or later, an unexpected monkey swings by, smells the delicious orange, and discovers its location inside the coconut. The monkey then slips his hand through the small hole, grasps the orange, and tries to pull it through the hole. Of course, the orange won't come out. It's too big for the hole. To no avail, the persistent monkey continues to pull and pull, never realizing the danger he is in. While the monkey struggles with the orange, the hunters simply stroll in, capture the monkey by throwing a net over him. As long as the monkey keeps his fist wrapped around that orange, the monkey is trapped. It's too bad the poor monkey could save its own life if it would let go of the orange. It rarely occurs to a monkey, however, that it can, can't have both the orange and its freedom. That delicious orange becomes a deadly trap. And the world sets traps for you that are not unlike the monkey trap. This morning, we're, we need to talk about letting go of the orange. Our life, are we living a, a Christ-like life? Are we living a world-like life? Are we holding on to that orange? Are we holding on to something in the world instead of selling out to God? Well, let me tell you, just like the monkey, it's going to kill you. Satan's got you trapped. He's got you convinced you can have the orange and eternity with Christ, but you can't. We constantly hear that if you just have enough money, enough stuff, enough power, enough prestige, then you'll be happy. But as we see on TV all the time, it doesn't work. Hollywood, New York, LA, it doesn't matter where they are, Miami, they have the fame, the fortune, they have the prestige, they have everything that we're supposed to be striving for, and they're still not happy. Under that illusion, people spend their whole lives thinking that you have to have it all. The call of Christianity is unlike that of the world. The world focused on what you can get out of life. A Christian should focus on what we can give back. Today from this scripture, I want us to learn not how to make our life count from a worldly perspective, 
but more important, a, a spiritual perspective. We're going to read John chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 7, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples, love and joy perfected. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Right there, it gives us the key to everything that we need in life. If we want to live a Christ-like, a spiritual perspective life, this is what we need to do. The life that counts is a Christ-centered life. This is the first one. Verse 7 there says, if you abide in me. The life that counts is not a self-centered life. This world is full of that. Self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get or what you can do for me. I've said it many times before. I've asked people to volunteer and they're like, well, what's in it for me? The joy of giving back to people, you know, they want something. What, what are you going to do for me? How much are you going to pay me? What are you going to? That's what we're raising up today. That's what the world is changing our thinking to be. Instead of giving back to others, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? One of the biggest problems in church today is self-centeredness rather than Christ-centeredness. A Christ-centered life is about me getting out of the way and letting the living Christ live through me. Getting myself out of the way, my mind out of the way, what I see, what I hear, what I want. How many trust in God? Okay. If we trust in God, then we're out of the way because we don't have to do, worry about anything. We, look, we worry about the way we look, the way we, the way we act, the way this, the way that. What's going on? What's, what, what my job? How much I make? My bills? We worry about all of this. That's not trusting God. Now, we are to work. We are to do our part. We are to give our best. We're supposed to do all that. However, when that becomes more important than Christ, we're in trouble. When we put that first, we're in trouble. The second thing, the life that counts is a Bible-anchored life. It says, if my words abide in you, the second part of that verse there. So often as a Christian, we live an experience-anchored life rather than a Bible-anchored life. So in order to live a Bible-anchored life, we must do two things. First of all, we have to learn it. The Word cannot anchor my life if I don't learn it. If I don't know anything about it, if I don't read it, it can't be my anchor. It can't be the core of who I am if I don't know it. We have to read it. When bad times come, when temptation comes, so many of us don't know what to do. Well, we need to look at our example. Let's see what Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read 1 through 4, and then I'm going to skip around here a little bit. 
starting with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the, the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So he's being tempted here. Verse 4, what does he say? It says, But he answered and said, It is written. Now where is it written? What was he talking about? It is written. In the Word, right? The Scripture. Jesus was knowledgeable. If you read the beginning of his life... Where was he all the time? Where did he get in trouble for wanting to go to all the time? The temple. Because he wanted to learn. He knew that before he went into the ministry, before he battled Satan, he needed to know the word. He needed to get into the word. And let me tell you, if Jesus Christ himself knows he has to get into the word, you really think you're better than him? You really think you can battle Satan without getting into the Word? That's the first thing he said. Verse 4 there, it is written. But Satan didn't stop tempting him there. How many knows Satan doesn't stop first time? We go, get behind me, Satan. He's like, okay, and he runs away, right? That's the way it goes? No, he doesn't. He continues on. So verse 6, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus said... For it is written. Where are we at there? For it is written. Then we go to verse 7. And again, Jesus said to him, It is written again. And one last try, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. And verse 11. Go to verse 11. Then the devil left. That's what caused him to go, is he quoted the scripture. He had command over him. He knew the scripture, which is the power. That's our sword, right? That's how we defeat Satan. If you don't know the sword, if you don't have it, if you don't have it within you, Satan comes at you, you go, uh. And we lose. We can't fight. We're just standing there with our shield Getting beat up on the defense all the time, right? We need to be the attackers. Stop sitting back, huddling down, going, oh, why is Satan beating me up? Because you don't have the sword to get on the attack and fight him. We need to get on the attack. We fight Satan with the word. The only way we can fight Satan with the word is if we know the word. We have to read it, study it, know it. You have to do it here Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Any time the church doors are open, you need to be here, yes, to soak up the Word. But you also have to do it Monday through Sunday at home. If you rely on me to fill you up and give you enough Word on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you in trouble. Read, read, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Christ's life. He didn't study the Word. He didn't pray one day a week, two days a week. Every time you look at him, he's trying to study the Word. He's going to the Father. Many people have mentioned to me that, you know, oh, Helen is such a godly woman. Miss Martha, oh, she's a prayer warrior. Oh, da da. Miss Martha, what time do you wake up in the morning to, to study your Word? It's a god awful time, I know. 
every morning. We used to be like five, six in the morning. She, what? Four thirty in the morning. Lord, help us. Thank you, God, for not calling me for that. <laughs> That's important. She studies the word. You want to be a prayer warrior like her? You got to study the word. Eleanor, every morning, you and Jack. <laughs> 6 30 in the morning. Still too early for me. I'm okay with a little bit later than that. But you got to study the word. We're doing a devotion right now. I've got the devotion here. We're doing the devotion. She comes on Wednesday night with notes all along it, uh, all along it that her and Jack have for it. That's called studying the word. You want to be like that, you got to study the word. Growing up my whole life, my dad got up. I don't even know because I was never up at that time. Like five in the morning, he'd get up and read the word and pray. We never wanted, God blessed us, the man of faith growing up. To be like that, you've got to do that. You want to be like Christ, you've got to do that. You want to be a prayer warrior. Defeat Satan and stop being under his foot. You've got to be in the word. The second thing, you have to live it. We have to learn it, but then we have to live it. If I spend all my time in the Word and I don't put it into practice in my life, then I've still accomplished nothing. I knew this guy that could quote the Bible backwards and forwards, like literally, just... But he never put it into action in his life. Never in his life. Miserable. Had it here, but never put it into work. It means nothing. Knowledge is great, but wisdom is better. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the ability to think and act utilizing knowledge, but also experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. You've got to have more than just knowledge to have wisdom. The Bible talks about wisdom, not just smarts. A lot of 16-year-olds know the book, How to Drive. They can pass that written test. But Lord, you ever seen them on the streets? You know more accidents happen between the age of 16 and 21 than the rest of your life put together. You know why? Because they're dumb. They've got the book smarts, but they don't have experience. They have no experience. You have to know what to do in those situations. When you hit that, that uh, black ice, when you hit that, that when it missed, okay, you older people, when it missed and it hits that oil on that road and you're like, oh, Lord, take the wheel. You know, we were driving in Dayton, Ohio, and we were going on to a freeway from one freeway to another, and we're going like this. Hit that black uh, oil, mist, rain, whatever you call it. The car, I'm going this way, and all of a sudden, I'm going this way, and guess what? That's the way the cars are coming. And I'm sliding across the highway like this, and, and it takes experience to know what to do in situations. In snow, we lived in Wisconsin. Christina can now drive in the snow. And in ice, I trust her more than I do most people that, that more than anybody that lives in the South. 
because they ain't never seen snow. They don't know what to do with snow. Put a little, we, we moved to Phoenix and it sprinkled and it flooded. They freak out. Well, let me tell you, geniuses that built Phoenix, because it doesn't rain in Phoenix, they didn't put in sewer gutters, like underground drains. Geniuses. Anyways, so a little sprinkle flooded everything. They don't know how to drive in it. You've got to have the experience. You've got to know what to do in those situations. You have to put the word into action in your life. The life that counts is a prayer-supported life. Verse 7 there continues, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. But listen, prayer is more than just giving a laundry list of wants to God and then expecting to jump when I call. just doesn't work that way. Don't raise your hand, but we have a Bible, or we have a church app, And I hate to ask how many people have gone on the prayer wall and prayed for the people that we put on there. Not just praying for ourselves. Remember going back to that self-centered life. God, I need, God, give me this. Go out. Do we pray for everyone? In church, do we pray for people in our life? Do we pray for our family, our friends? I pray over my kids and my kids' family every night. Pray over church family members. I pray over my nephews in Florida and Ohio, my brother. Do we pray over people that we love? Are we just so selfish we don't have time for that? A true and authentic prayer life is key to living a true victorious Christian life. If we've never cultivated a vital prayer life with God, then we're going to get exactly that, a dead life, a dead relationship. There's no way that we can live a life that counts for Jesus without a true prayer life. If I had a relationship with Chris and I just relied on Sunday morning and Wednesday night talking to her, I wouldn't know her at all. Wouldn't have a relationship. Right? I mean, especially men, we hear it all the time, right? Number one thing to a relationship is communication, right? Women, amen? Okay, same way with God. You want a good relationship? You got to communicate. That's our prayer life. And not, if your husband came to you, women, and, and all they said was, hey, I want food. Hey, I want this. Hey, I want this. Hey, can you get me this? Hey, can you do this? Would that be a healthy relationship, ladies? But we do that to God and, you know, oh, I, I have a great relationship with God. I pray every day. No, you don't. It's not called prayer. It's called whining. And little children, gimme, 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 I want, oh, please. That's not a relationship. That's not talking to God. We need to get that prayer life. I love the movie The War Room. We need to get on our knees. And I'll tell you, the three that are brought up, they don't just read the word. They spend time with God. It's 
time with God, talking to God. My grandmother was probably one of the best prayer warriors I ever knew. But it's because she spent time with God. She'd come to the altar. If you were at the altar, she wouldn't leave until you got what you needed. And she wouldn't let you leave until you got what you needed. She's like, no, we're going to spend time. It takes time. I'm done praying. No, you're not. Takes time. Not just, oh, God, thank you for this. I need to. Oh, the song's over. Okay, I'll go back. We need to get back to the days where we spent time on our knees at the altar. Oh, I'm good back here, Pastor. Need to get to your, to your knees at the altar, undistracted, spending time with God, talking to God, apologizing to God for your selfishness. I'm sorry I keep preaching to that church down the street, but <clears throat> the life that counts is a fruit-bearing life. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples, love and joy perfected. If we have any hope of honoring God in this life, with our lives, we have to be fruit-bearing lives. What is fruit-bearing life? Well, when you go to an apple tree, do you expect to see an orange you expect to see an apple. We go to an orange tree, we don't want to see a pear. Same way with God. He wants us to be bearing fruit. So when someone comes up to you, do they see worldly fruit? Or do they see Christ fruit? What are we bearing? By the way, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ouch. Some of us may be lucky to get one of them. We're supposed to be bearing fruits. I, I, people say it all the time. Don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. Yes, I am. If you're not bearing fruits, shame on you. You're not Christ following life. He says that we are to honor God, right? By this, my father's glorified. You want to be glorifying God. You need to be bearing fruits. If you're not bearing fruits, you're not glorifying God. If you're not glorifying God, you're not a Christian. You don't have to like it, but I didn't write it. I should see the fruits. Not once in a blue moon, not on Sunday morning, but all the time. I went to, church, I went to Heather's school one time years and years ago. And she didn't know I was coming. And I, I pick on Heather because she's not here. So, but went to her school. And, uh, and later on in uh, the in youth group, she was, she was talking. We were talking about this kind of stuff. And I said, if I would have come into that day, would I have known you were the Christian there? If I come to your work, if I come to your home, if I'm in your car, would I know that you're the Christian? What kind of fruits are we bearing? 
a godly fruit bearing life will be characterized by exalting Christ with our words and our actions. Said it many times. If you walk like a duck, you talk like a duck, you act like a duck, you a duck. Well, who do you walk like, talk like, and act like? Because that's who you belong to. Your actions, if your fruits are worldly, you belong to Satan. You don't have to like it, but I didn't write it. Now, does that mean we're perfect? No, absolutely not. But I've said, you know, if, if you have a bad behavior that you used to do a hundred times a day, you become a Christian, a year from now, you should not still be at a hundred times a day. See where I'm going? We should be getting better. Sometimes we go 100 to zero. Thank you, Lord. But over time, we should be a lot better in our fruits. More often, we should be bearing the fruits on a daily basis than we were day one. Those of you that have been a Christian many years, what's your excuse? A life that counts is a love-motivated life. Verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As a follower of Christ, everything that I do and say should be motivated by love. We should hate the sin, but love the sinner. The Bible says that we're known as Jesus' disciples by the love that we show one another. What did I say the fruits of the Spirit? Number one, Love. You're not showing love. You're not bearing fruits. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. See that how that goes? You want to abide in His love? You've got to show people love. Just as Christ did. The Bible teaches us that we're to love the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and all of our strengths. We're to love the Word of God because it's the very Word of God given to us. We're to love the church no matter what our flesh or other people tell us because the church is God's idea, not ours. God came up with this. We're to love others our friends, and our enemies. You know, the unlovables, which, by the way, <laughs> you may call someone else unlovable, but they're probably calling you unlovable, too. I'm sure there's somebody out there that calls you unlovable. Are you living a life that counts? Are you living a Christ-centered life, the Bible-anchored life, the prayer-supported life, the fruit-bearing life, the love-motivated life. If this does characterize your life, then praise the Lord, persevere to the end. Keep going, keep growing, keep striving. However, if it does not, this doesn't describe you, then the altars are open. 
And in a minute here, you need to be running to the altar. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed to make it home today. Their church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. We hear it all the time. And it's true, sadly. We talk it, but our lives don't show it. And the Bible tells us, by the way, that in the end, when Jesus comes back at the rapture, it's going to be a lot of people in church, Christians, that aren't going to go. Because this doesn't describe them. And if this doesn't describe them, they're not a Christian. Just because you come and sit here on Sunday morning, you sing the songs, you know how to act, you raise your hands, yes, you can... You know, go through the motions all you want. But if you're not living it, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, then it's just an act. Christians are good at putting on acts. It's time that we sell out, people. You want to change the world? You want to change your family? Stop spending so much time. The problem with... You know, we put our family before God. Well, aren't I supposed to take care of our family? No, you're supposed to trust God with your family. Let Him take care of them. You do your part. He'll do the important part. Your calendar's so full with your family, with your job, with your friends, you got no time for God. We need to be loving on our community. Change the world. Get on fire, open up, sell out to God, and we'll change the world. But instead, we're just going through the motions. Let's bow our heads. If you've never taken the opportunity, whether you're watching, listening, or here this morning, to accept Christ as your personal Savior, Please don't put it off. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. He said that he loved you so much that he died just for you so that you could have eternity with him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Lord, we come to you asking you to forgive us of our sins, to come into our hearts, come into our lives, change us, Lord. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, we ask you to forgive us for being selfish. For being worldly. For not giving you our all. For going through the motions. Lord, we pray today that you will just stir up that hunger, stir up that fire within us, Lord. We give you our all. Lord, that one thing that we've been holding on to, that one part
part of our lives. No matter what it is, Lord, we give it to you right now. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. If there's a part of you that you're holding on to, if you can't look at this and say, that describes me, then this morning, come to the altar. Too much to show, and all the.